The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're catching up with Peter George. Peter is CEO of the ASX-listed Alicanto Minerals, which goes by the ASX code AQI, or Alpha Quebec India. It is trading at 5.6 cents for a market cap of about $11 million. The company's initial focus on listing was for gold in the South American nation of Guyana, where it still has a presence. And when I think about it, the current market cap is probably justified by the interest there. I'll get Peter to give us an update on what's happening there a bit later, because in, since May this year, there's been a, a building buzz around the company's push into Sweden. The push takes in the historically significant Bergslagen region, about a three hours drive in a Volvo north of Stockholm. The region is home to some of the world's biggest high-grade base metals deposits and mines with associated gold. Those mines are operated by some big Swedish names of the mining world. With that, I'm going to welcome Peter to the podcast. Hi, Peter, and thanks for your time today. Yeah, g'day, Barry. How are you? Now, Peter, before jumping into what you have on the go in Sweden, I was hoping you could give us a bit of a rundown on your background, the usual stuff, where you're born and raised, your education, professional qualifications, and what brought you to the company. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Um, well, I was born and bred in Kalgoorlie, um, spent a good part of my youth in that part of the world uh, and then I ended up doing a uh, Bachelor of Engineering in Mining at the School of Mines in Kalgoorlie and around about that time when I was about to graduate I got an opportunity to go over to Sweden for a year as an exchange student and I was lucky enough to um, spend effectively nine months working along with Bull Leiden while I was up there doing a call it a master's in um, in engineering. Uh, so I spent a fair bit of time out there in the mines, came back to Australia, finished off my degree, and then got invited to go back to Sweden to work uh, for Bull Leiden full-time. Uh, a career engineer, uh, I've spent a lot of time um, either working in the mines or um, consulting to the mines uh, or managing my own companies, building companies. In the last probably five or six years, um, I've spent a bit of time as a COO with Keras Resources out of the UK. Uh, and the, the previous 18 months leading up to, to joining Alicanto, I spent um, working with Mineral Resources and was lucky enough to get involved with the Wajina project and got that up and started. Right. Okay. So old mineral resources, the can-do organisation. I was just wondering, uh, right. with your time in Sweden, uh, do you speak the language at all? Yeah, I speak fluent Swedish. Really? Okay. Can mm. you say, uh, hello, I'm glad to be part of the show today in Sweden? Yeah, sweet. <laughs> no, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. I'd probably embarrass myself. Fair enough. Okay. Now, Sweden uh, is not completely novel to Australian investors. If we go back mm. a bit... Uh, North Limited acquired the Zinc Grooven operation and it ran successfully uh, for many years. Uh, now, obviously, your 
early career development there was uh, you've kept an eye on the Swedish, uh, the opportunities in the country? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I, while I was over in Sweden, I, I managed a couple of the big um, copper zinc projects, uh, Renstrom uh, and uh, the Pettignas mine, which is the, the Pettignas mine is now closed. Um, and um, when did I start? Uh, 1995, I think I was there for the first time. Um, and then in 90, end of 96, beginning of 97, when we started as a, effectively a graduate engineer again, working in the technical department um, and both myself and and our senior geologist over in Sweden, Eric Lundstam, we, we actually both started on the same day. And um, he ended up staying on with Bull Leiden for, geez, a good 20 years uh, and got up to be their chief geologist and was involved in the majority of their projects, especially in the Batty Slagen area and Galpin Batty. And, um, yeah, we've obviously kept in touch quite closely over the years and, you know, these opportunities have sort of come about a lot of hard work in the background over the last five years, but have uh, you know manifested itself into, into what we're doing with Alicanto today. Okay, so yeah, tell us about uh, well the May deal and what's been done since, what the projects areas were that were picked up, and I guess more importantly, what excites you about the move into Sweden? Yeah, so the the original deal that was done, um, we we started with a, a private company um, called Zaffa which um, between myself and uh, and Eric and a few of the other boys, being Hamish and uh, Steve Parsons and, and Andrew, and um, we were really looking for a home, um, for a, an ASX home for these assets. Uh, the opportunity came about with, with AQI. Um, obviously, after the, the project in Guyana hadn't gone as well as they would have liked, so they approached me to start up sorry to come in and, and take on the the CEO's role with Alicanto uh, with my first job being to sort out a deal with the, the Guyana assets which we did so we sorted that out um, with a deal with uh, Nordgold uh, for three million dollars US worth of drilling which we're most of the way through the, the campaign at the moment and hoping to to get away with a um, a good result there and and do a deal with Nord where they take it over for five million dollars US sometime next year uh, so obviously we got that deal underway the the swedish assets we had a, a vote a shareholder vote in july of uh, 31st i believe of this year um which was a positive vote where the alicantos agreed uh, alicanto shareholders have agreed to uh, take up the option which is a six-month option for up to five hundred thousand dollars worth of exploration work on the the two Oxberg, so the Oxberg and the Neverberg projects, which are the two projects that we've uh, rolled into the private company at, at Zaffa. Um, what attracted us to those particular areas is, well, look, the Berry Slogan area itself is uh, is very famous, um, especially amongst the geological fraternity around the world. It was an extremely hot area going back about 1.9 billion years ago. Obviously, the projects uh, that Bull Leiden has at Garpen Valley uh, and um, that, that London Mining has at Zinkruben and the Farnan project which is was closed in the 90s which was operated by uh, Stora Kopagruba. Now these are I guess what we would call you know massive uh, VMS deposits um, 
all three of them grow them all three of them have mined more than 25 million tonnes but have resources at Garfenberry and Zinc Grooving, which are significantly larger than that. Um, so when we started looking in Sweden, and we looked all over for a particular project, uh, we kept coming back to this area, which, which Eric had looked at before, um, you know, and mostly because it's, you know, there's a historical mine there. You've got that... 28 million tonnes was mined out of Falun mm-hmm. and um, at a very high grade. And we've also got the, the historic Whitgruven mine, which is only four or five kilometres away uh, along strike from the Falun mine. And uh, that was mined at an average of about 38%. So they actually reported, I found an old report from 1904, mm-hmm. which talked about they had a low grade and a high grade product that they produced there. So the low grade was 35 to 38% and the high grade was 38 to 42%. It's hence the average of about 38%. Um, granted that that would have been old style handheld mining back in those days, but still phenomenal grades. Mm. Um, and that was mined down to about 180 metres. So it, it ticked the box of being in and around old mines. So we wanted to, we didn't want to go out and, and be, be looking at complete greenfields areas. When we were looking for, when we were looking within the um, the Bay Slogan area, like I, like I said, we were looking for areas where there was old demonstrable production. That was the first box we wanted to tick. The second box we wanted to tick was it needed to be high grade. Um, also within the Bally Slogan area, these are, are multi-element mines, you know, so they're, they're either high in copper or high in zinc, but some of them are also um, quite highly endowed with gold, lead, um, silver, um, and uh, given those, uh, that, that mix, that was exactly what we're looking for, and I guess the best way to describe those sorts of ore bodies is that they're kind of all weather type of ore bodies you know when one of them's up the other one might be down mm. so you quite a, a consistent pricing yeah very a magic mix of metals as it were um yeah so they're they're uh, all high grade vms uh, type deposits are they in the Burgess Lagen mm. or on our properties oh, well in the Burgess Lagen and your properties or your targets in, in that area yeah well look the interesting thing about Oxburg and Neverberg is that Farland has been known about known about for geez, if it's not a thousand years, I'd be surprised. I think it goes back dem- demonstrable records go back about seven hundred odd years, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it had obviously been mined before that um, by the old timers, um, with the majority of it being mined out in the last hundred, of course, when the, the big machines became available. Obviously, we looked back at uh, at Farlon being a a large 28 million ton VMS style deposit. What we believe has been missed in the past is that these the the Farlon deposit was viewed as being a traditional style of uh, of VMS, which, if you can imagine, like the black smoker type scenarios in the bottom of the ocean, you know, and these would spew out uh, metals lying, you know, and, and they would collect in low lying areas. Mm-hmm. What we've actually discovered uh, is that far, we believe that Farlun and, and the rest of the Oxburg and Neverberg areas, these were limestone carbon replacement style deposits, uh, VMS style deposits. 
what that effectively means is that as the the magma is coming up through the earth it's hit a, a limestone band and because the limestone is actually um, it gets affected by the acidic nature of the magma as it comes up it actually deposits the the, the metals within the limestone band as compared to on the sea floor and because we've had uh, basalt lying above the limestone band we've also had a natural cap sitting above it so we've got these bands which we can track now um, which create a trap for high grade VMS style carbonate replacement deposits so we believe quite strongly now that that uh, Falun was one of these we believe that uh, Huitgruben was one of these, but we've also done an awful lot of work over the summer investigating all of the uh, the known and quite a few unknown outcrops along the strike of about 45 kilometres worth of strike. And we can now track that limestone band, which now sits vertically as compared to um, flat. And um, we strongly believe that with that information now in hand, a lot of the work that we've also done over the summer in confirming high-grade grab samples all the way along that area that we've got over 45 kilometres of strike that we can now track um, and do some more work on to try and find repeats of the Whitgroven and Phylon style deposits. Yeah. So we're talking we're generally talking then about a, bringing a new exploration model to the effort there? Uh, absolutely. Um, well, new and new. Uh, I think the important thing to remember there is that the the work that was done at Galpambay, um, so basically, you'll, you'll have to forgive me if I don't get the exact dates right, but Bull Eden was ready to walk away from Galpambay um, in the end of the 90s. So they believed that they'd actually mined everything out. They had, they had two mines, the North Mine and the South Mine, about eight kilometres apart. Mm -hmm. And the common belief at the time was that and these were traditional style VMS deposits and um, that they'd mined everything out. There was nothing more to find. So Eric and the geological team um, that were there at the time didn't believe this and believe that they're just given the rocks, given the structures, irrespective of the fact that there was nothing showing up on the geophysics at surface, that there was more to be found in between the two mines. And basically at the death knock of the mine, they, um, they managed to get a few holes out in there and over the next couple of years, um, discovered 150 million tonnes of ore at uh, quite phenomenal grades. And about 30 years worth of mine life mm. for, for a mine that was pretty much believed to be um, mined out. Right. And that's, so, that mine's obviously still going today, is it? That mine's still going today and it will be for at least the next three, uh, 30 years. Right. So what, what we've done with that information is we've, we've applied the same philosophy at Oxburg and Neverberg, and we believe that we've got the same rocks, same structures, basically the same sort of deposition events, and we apply that sort of this, the same uh, geological science behind the whole thing. We're quite convinced that there is going to be more of these style of ore bodies all the way along that 45 kilometres. Mm, okay, exciting stuff. Um, mm. Just... Uh Generally, what's it like operating in uh, Sweden compared to, say, the, the back box of Kalgoorlie? Are there any particular challenges? Or oh, Look, there's always challenges. Um, the best way I like to describe working in Sweden is it's, it's quite similar to Australia in many regards, except the temperatures are obviously quite different. But you know, we, we're dealing with first world countries here, dealing with a very educated 
workforce, you know, the, the majority of the people are very well educated. They understand how things work. They understand their rights. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that we we do the right thing by everybody, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously a lot of hurdles that you have to go through from an environmental perspective, from, an, uh, from a safety perspective. And, you know, there's no point complaining about that. It's That's just the way it is when you're dealing in, we're trying to work in, in first world countries. You just have to um, understand what those rules are, work within the rules and do the right thing by everybody. So if, if you have that attitude, you, you're, you're going to succeed in countries like Australia and Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, the other benefit of being in a first world country is, is that the infrastructure is fantastic. So I have rail, I have roads, you know, I've got 4G, 5G mobile networks all the way over my properties. Um, you know, airline, uh, sorry, airports within Kiwi of where we're located. I've got ports within a couple of hundred kilometres um, and I have a very educated workforce. You know, the Bally Slogan is used to having, you know, big mines operating within the area. Mm. So it's, from that point of view, it's, I'd much rather be working in that type of environment than anywhere else, to be honest. Sure. Well, given that mining history of uh, more than a thousand years, say, uh, I take it the local communities are supportive of mining. Oh, look, absolutely, and it's it's a it's an area that's like exactly like what you said. They've been mining there for a thousand years, so it's it's not something new. Um, but you know, you just have to go through the same processes as what everybody else does in these type of first world countries. And you know, as long as the community understands that we're, you know, if they're we're there to to provide jobs, we're not there to make a mess and to walk away and leave a mess. Um, mm. It's all good. Yeah. So. I understand you've had some initial uh, drilling success. I was just uh, hoping you could outline the forward drilling program and what you're expecting or uh, hoping to achieve there. Yeah, so we, we've we announced that we're doing a, we, we've committed to 1,000 metre drilling program. So at the moment, we've drilled 300 metres of that program. Um, so we have, we've announced the, the two holes at Dustibull. So we had some phenomenal grades. Um, that we've hit, that I think we announced those last week. So they included some 9.5% copper, 16 grams of gold, 8.2% zinc, and 285 grams of silver, and 2.6% lead um, in massive sulphides. Which, you know, given that they're our first two holes and we've hit massive sulphides, we're, mm. we're extremely happy. But it also, from a, a technical perspective, it proves our theory on the, the limestone hosted carbonate replacement deposit. Which these are, you know, lying, you know, well, uh, what are we about fifteen kilometres away from um, Fallon and the Whitgruven mine? So it's it's just adding another piece to the story of you know we're definitely within the right area. So we're we'll need to do a bit more work on that particular area with some downhole EM so that we can find some of the larger areas, or the wider areas, I should say. Um, and we'll, we'll move on from there. But very exciting for the company. Mm. Is drilling able to proceed uh, uh, all the time or is it uh, seasonal? Now, down in that part of the world, uh, there's no issues with regards to being able to drill 365 days of the year. Okay. So the intention would be to, after this 1,000-metre program, to uh, continue with drilling? At- 
Yeah, so I think, like I mentioned, so the, the initial 1,000 metres of drilling is really to, to prove up our theories on, on how these areas were formed. Um, there's a few high-priority um, high targets that we're aiming at, Lusty Bull being the first one. There's another one at, Whit, at the Whitgruben that we're looking to get into next. And as soon as we've we've got those locked away, you know, we can uh, revise what we're going to do next in those particular areas. But at the same time, we've been working really hard on defining the next level of targets that are coming out. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work at our new discovery at Wolf Mountain, for example. Uh, we've had an IP survey out there, which I'm hoping we'll, we will get the results out for soon. But we're super excited about what's going to be coming next for the for those particular targets. Mm. Now, a, a tricky question, I guess. There, I mentioned earlier on that you could uh, quite possibly justify the current market cap on the gold interests alone over there in South America, but. What do you think it will take for this market to get excited about uh, the Sweden work? Yeah. Look, I can't control the market. Um, but what all I can really do is to continue to develop my targets that we've got out there, continue to produce the high-grade hits that we've been finding in our first two holes at Lustable. And, look, our main focus is on the copper, the zinc, the gold, and the, and the other metals that we've got there. It's gold has obviously been the focus in the market for the, well, it seems like an, like an age now. Um, but things like copper and zinc, you know, their time in the sun is coming and it's not that far away. Uh, we just need a few other things in the market to, to, to change, I believe, and, you know, getting, getting ourselves back into a growth phase. And, there's not an awful lot of fantastic copper stories out there at the moment. And if you have a look at what's going on at the LME, you know, they're really the, the the levels of copper and zinc at, in the LME are down at 15-year lows. Mm. So everything's pointing towards that, you know, as soon as it's time when the sun comes, you know, there's going to be a big correction. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, and... Uh... I think everyone appreciates there's actually a shortage of quality exploration projects out there. Uh, I was just wondering, post those most recent results, has the, the phone been ringing at all from some of the bigger boys out there who uh, might be taking an interest in the project? Oh, obviously, I can't comment on those sorts of things in any great detail, but you know, look, we're talking to people all the time. I spent uh, quite a few days over in Sydney last week catching up with uh, potential investors and and brokers, and just getting the story out there as much as we possibly can. Mm. Now, at this point, and the intention, of course, is to proceed on a hundred percent basis. Oh, with regards to the the Swedish assets. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, obviously, that's for the that's for our, our board to make a decision on. Um, so that decision will come uh, by the end of January of next year, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll leave that up to our, our chairman to make a, a call and a decision on that. Right, okay. Now, you did touch on uh, uh, Guyana and go, uh, mm -hmm. quick summary there. Uh, I understand there's some, uh, there should be a news flow of uh, drill results coming? Well, I hope so. Um, obviously, I can't control when the, um, the labs actually give out the results, but uh, obviously we're working hard on getting those 
those drilling results out as quickly as we possibly can. Mm. And what the intention is, uh, assuming the results are to uh, Norgold's liking, they will actually assume control of the project further down the track. Is that right? That would be, I mean, I guess that would be the the best outcome as far as Norgold is concerned. Um, and we will, you know, I guess that we'll, we'll see what happens in the new year. I mean, they have up until, I think it's 31st of May, if I've, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure on the date, but around about that date to make up their mind as to whether or not they want to take on the project. Mm. But broadly speaking, uh, investors looking at the company now should be thinking it's all about Sweden. Well, that, that's the focus at this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, and I think that the market's pretty well factored in um, that that's the direction that the company is going with the, the majority of the of the value in what we have in the company is focused around around Sweden. So the, the Guyana uh, deal, look, that's a bit of a free kick as far as we were concerned if it does come off. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, um, we'll review that in the new year. Uh, but, I mean, there's still plenty of potential out there in Guyana as well. For sure. Okay. Alrighty, Peter, you've given us a, a great rundown of the, the push into Sweden. Um, so yeah. I'm sure the market, well, I know the market's alert to uh, the story that might unfold there. So all the best with that. And uh, thanks for your time today. Good on you. Thanks, Barry. Cheers.